Hey, what's going on? What is going on? Uh, cousins, people. I was going to say like Facebook and YouTube, but we're streaming live on both Facebook and YouTube. So I'm just going to say what's going on, family. What's going on, family? This is Jake Taylor Jacobs on the Jake Taylor Jacobs Show. Today, we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff. We're going to be talking about the power of group economics. We're going to be talking about the power of group economics, but you already know how we start every song. You already know how we start every every, every live show. We got to start off with a little song. So this song is by um, Ashley Bowes, and it's Be You. We're talking about It's Okay to Be You. Well, it was on that. I forgot to. I, I forgot to do the um, unmute the thing, y'all. I'm 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 messing up this morning already. I'm messing up this morning already. What's going on, family? What's going on, family? What's going on, family? What is going on, family? We're talking about the power of group economics. Now you can make more money when you share the wealth. But this song is by Ashley DeBose. Kind 
Can you go get another HDMI? Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. What's going on, family? That was Ashley DeBose. It's okay to be you. Um, you guys can go get her album. It's one of my friends from Minnesota, Minnesota. And um, I'm trying to encourage her to keep singing because she's absolutely amazing. Guys, this is the Jake Taylor Jacobs Show on the Brother Ben X Podcast. The biggest and the baddest and the best informative, educational, edutaining podcast in the world. And um, I'm excited to be sharing with you guys what I got to talk to you guys today about, which is the power of group economics, the power of group economics and the power of working together. We're going to actually be looking at a um, an article together and reading the article together as we can kind of understand the importance of us working together so that we can be able to uh, create financial stability and financial uh, to become financially independent. Uh, but you can't do it alone. It's extremely hard to do it alone. It's, it's extremely it's easier to do it with people it's easier to do it with people so the very first book you know i'm gonna talk about is we are sick surviving financial cancer go and get you a copy at survivingfinancialcancer.com and this book the author which is me i scientifically and statistically prove how debt is the number one cause of death in black america how debt yes i said it debt is the number one cause of death in black america here's a couple of reads that i want you to go get uh, the case of ibc this is me teaching you how the bank inside of insurance policies. This is where I get it from. It's a guy by the name of Nelson Nash. It's called Warehouse of Wealth here. And another book called Become the Banker. We have a book that's that's pending entitled I Am the Lender, which is going to be teaching you how to become the, your own bank for your own family, for your own life. And of course, get you a little Bible and go and get you how money works. These are the essential things needed in order to help you make good financial choices for yourself and for your family. The biggest problem that we have is not that we don't have enough money, it's that we don't do right with what we have. And uh, we don't understand the consequences of a lot of the decisions that we make. And we're dealing with the repercussions of our consequences of those decisions. So um, most importantly, this podcast is for everyone, but especially it's for the millennials that are coming up, the zennials that are coming up to make better decisions today so that you don't have to deal with those consequences tomorrow that will stop you from growing your wealth. It'll put a big heart on your wealth if you make certain decisions. Uh, we'll talk about that today too, okay? So we're going to get with the show. We're going to get it down. We're going to get with the show. We're going to fool around. We're going to get it, get it, get it. If you guys are ready, if you guys are excited, what's, we're going to talk, what we're going to talk about today on the show. 
Please, please, please. Some of you guys that don't know me that's new to the Jake Taylor Jacobs show, you're new to Jake Taylor Jacobs. I am from the country, but I talk fast. I don't know where I got that from. Uh, I think maybe it's because I play basketball and as a point guard playing basketball, I always had to like, you know, talk for the defense and talk for the team and talk for offense. So you always got to kind of talk fast when you're on the court because you don't have all day to talk. And so I'm used to talking fast. I'm used to I'm used to that. So if you're in the East Coast, East Coast people typically love me. And it's the people uh, that's down south that's like, ah, I don't know about this cat. And just because I talk fast, it's just because of sports. I played uh, dang near 18 years of sports, even collegiate ball. Uh, so um, that's just something that I do. Just a little bit about me. My name is Jake Taylor Jacobs. I run uh, the ABS Institute and also the ABS Brokers, uh, ABS Brokers. Uh, ABS Institute is a financial education company, and our goal is to empower more minorities to become financially independent, financially stable. And in our ABS brokers, we assist those minorities with the proper services, the proper products that can help them become independent financially. And the biggest goal is to help people eliminate debt and to learn how to become their own banker. That is our goal. That's our mission. We're in 14, uh, direct of operations says 17, I don't know, between 14 and 17 states. Um, we have a gang of independent brokers all throughout the country, and uh, we're housed down here in Dallas, Texas. Currently, we're in ABS Studios um, and uh, in our home office, in our headquarters here in Dallas, Texas. And I'm super excited to be sharing with you guys. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, uh, I don't believe in borrowing money from the bank. I believe that the bank doesn't give you as much value as they're getting from you. Um, and I believe in putting your money in places that give you just as much value as you're giving them. At one point in time, the banks used to give you 10, 12 percent for putting your money in CDs and in a savings account. But uh, they create a system to where now we uh, they create a system to where now we're dependent upon them. Um, and uh, they're making it seem like we need them and they don't need us. And then everyone knows that if you study uh, banking, you'll understand that the bank cannot function without your money. And so we've created an institution, we've created a society to where the banks are now uh, in control and uh, we have lost that control. So that's the biggest thing I talk about and I'm excited to be sharing with you all uh, today uh, on the show. So if you're new, welcome to the show. If you want to call in, you have any financial or business questions, <clears throat> you want to challenge some of the ideologies, you can please just call in. You can call in at 469-340-3612 at the ticker below. And if you find interest in what I talk about, you can always go to ABS class, text ABS class to 555-888 to be able to um, to register to be a part of our institute. And one of our team members will literally give you a call if it's within work hours um, within that day, within that day, and to assist you with whatever financial goals and dreams that you have. Okay, so I did all of that uh, to say uh, I know what I'm talking about. And um, and I want to help you become financially free. So the power of group economics. So we're going to bring up an article that is going to kind of spearhead our conversation today, uh, because I think it's very important that we understand because, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, they talk about, hey, Jake, what you talk about is, is difficult to talk about because, you know, the majority of the people that are in America, they don't have the money that they're saying that you have, you know, that you're telling us to say we don't have this and that. But the truth is we really do. We just don't realize that we do because the majority of our money is going to the bank. And uh, once again, I just realized I wasn't recording. Uh, so um, uh, the biggest thing that we have to understand is that that money is not going to the bank. Uh, I mean, the, our money is going to the bank and it's not going to us. All of our money is going to every other place but to service us 
Um, and that's something that we got to, you know, we got to pay attention to. And, then, and everyone knows that the shortest path to wealth is to eliminate debt, especially consumer debt, because consumer debt is not progressive debt. And it's and it's debt that we just use to uh, house what we have and all those things. Um, uh, Denisha asked, hold on one quick, one quick. Denisha asked real quick, well, how do you build your credit? Do you use credit cards? Denisha, the answer is no. Um, we do not use the bank. We built our uh, seven-figure firm without ever borrowing one single cent, one red cent from the bank. We don't borrow from the bank. We don't do nothing, anything from the bank. Uh, and as far as credit uh, goes, my um, credit is okay because we don't borrow. So uh, the credit system, the credit scoring is based upon you borrowing money and paying it back. And because we don't borrow money from the bank, um, there's not really a need for um, having 700 credit scores because we're not looking to utilize that to, to leverage and get money. So um, that's just to answer your question right there, sister. And so um, we're talking about group economics today and the power of group economics and what you can do to actually work together by pulling your money together and finding people who have the same mentality, they have the same mindset and that want to do right by each other and for each other. You can actually uh, do what, you know, we used to do back in the day. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go back to uh, the page here and I'm going to blow it up and we're going to, we're going to uh, work through this article um, here that was written by Lauren Agurji. Um, and we're talking about, um, um, uh, Money pools help you get out of debt. The, the original article is written by Defrost B, um, and then it was reposted by Lauren. Okay, so in uh, this article right here is talking about you know uh, what African Americans used to do before there was a bank. You know, we're, we're talking about you know what what did what did we used to do? What did, when we didn't have access to a bank, how did we get along? And it's talking about what. It's talking about what um, other communities do, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, we like to say um, we like to say uh, that, um, you know, uh, 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 internationals come to America and then they get loans and stuff from banks and uh, the bank doesn't want the black man or the black woman to succeed. Uh, and the government has ousted us out and they give them international uh, loans um, and don't give us a leg up. And a lot of us, we say that without context. And some accounts that happens, but for the majority of my uh, of internationals that come through, that is not the case. They actually are really good with pulling their money and grouping their money together. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today um, uh, in this article. And this article says, I once taught a course on race relations at a community college in Trenton, New Jersey. Right in the middle of the city, there was a premier corner of African-American businesses that stood as a shining star of black progress. These fellas got together and they owned the corner right across from their uh, elementary school. Teachers would point across the street with great pride and tell the children, you can be anything that you want to be. You can have anything that you want to have. But then all of a sudden, a young Asian guy about 25 years old owned that corner. So I came in to teach one day and my students were all upset. I couldn't figure out what they were upset about. They said, we are sick of this. And I said, sick of what? They said, we're sick of these folks coming from all over the world and the government is giving them the money to buy up our neighborhoods and we can't buy our own, our own neighborhoods. There was nothing that I could do to convince them that the government didn't have a special fund for Asians. So I went over to the corner and I invited the businessman to come and speak to my class. He was reluctant, but I convinced him. 
And so what's happening here is, um, uh, you know, at one point in time, uh, there was a prominent corner that black business owners owned a corner. Um, and the elementary teachers used to say, man, you guys can, uh, you know, be anything. Look, look at yourself. Look at your color. You, you see people that look like you, that come from where you come from, that owns the corner, that own businesses. And then time had passed. And then now Asians own that same corner. And the kids are frustrated. They mad because, you know, they say, you know, Asians um, have come into our neighborhoods. They bought up our blocks and our corners and um, they're not adding any value to the neighborhoods. And so the teacher began to say, hey, listen. Um, uh, you know, uh, they're not getting any special treatment, no special loans, no special anything. They're actually doing something called group economics, but he couldn't be able to explain it because the kids wouldn't believe him. So he brought the, the Asian business owner to the class so that the Asian business owner could explain to them what happened. So, um, the Asian business owner told him that, you know, uh, uh he decided at the age of 16 that he wanted to move to America for a greater opportunity. He worked and saved his money from a one, for a one-way ticket. He flew to New Jersey and found other people from his country and asked if he can live with them for a while. So for six months, he slept on the floor. He got a little job. He took half of the money he made each week. He sent it back to his family. And then he saved as much, as, as, as much of the rest as possible. And he only owned one pair of black pants, two white shirts, one pair of shoes, underwear, and a few other necessities. He worked and slept on the floor, worked and saved his money. Then he decided that he wanted to buy a business which required $30,000. So he joined a meeting at this point. Um, I interrupted uh, to ask what type of meeting that he began to explain that it was a money pulling group. So what happened was this young man, 16 years old, moved from Asia, um, uh, uh, Vietnam, and um, uh, moved to America at 16 years old, didn't have any money, and asked, could he sleep on somebody's floor? He didn't have a bunch of stuff. He didn't go buy Jordans. He didn't go buy Nikes. He didn't go buy nothing. He understood why he came to America. He came to America for an opportunity. And a lot of uh, problems that we have, specifically in black America, we know, of course, that we're dealing with a lot of things that most other minorities don't deal with. Much, much, much um more people, demogra our demographic don't deal with. But the truth is, a lot of the problems that we have uh, have a lot to do with our mindset and has a lot to do with our understanding of group economics and understanding the importance of being financially responsible uh, and having good stewardship. So this young uh, uh, Asian 16-year-old understood the importance of laying low, saving his money, and, and sa sending some money to his family and saving the rest of his money because he understood the importance of him wanting to own his own business. He wanted to do that. And the problem that I have, not really a problem, but one of the things I want to stress uh, when it comes to uh, us understanding the importance of financial literacy and us understanding and us understanding the importance of of um, really un, uh, uh, valuing, you know, our stewardship and our money. The question I have is how many of us would have too much pride to sleep on the floor? How many of us would have too much pride to sleep on a couch? How many of us have too much pride that we don't want to um that we don't want to co-share our spaces that we live in. Um, and Ashan said our people don't want their kids at 18, 19 uh, of age in their house. And it has a lot to do with the way that we think. I mean, think about it. Let's be honest. The average ordinary person, let's just say person, human being, you don't really like really find yourself to 30. And, um, you know, I, I would like to say my parents did not kick me out of the house. They didn't push me out of the house. Um, but they definitely gave me words as I was growing up to say, you know, when you're 18, you out the house. 
And so because I knew that we weren't doing well financially, and I, of course I went to college to play ball, I left the house at 17. And I went a summer ahead of time and I went to go work in another city living in my teammates' parents' house because I felt like my parents didn't want me in the house. And it had a lot to do with miscommunication. But that's the that's the 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 the, the um the uh uh, the energy that my family were, were, was giving off. And now today, that ain't the energy that they were giving off, but that's kind of the messaging that they were sending. Amir, can you turn on the fan? And uh, one of the things that I want us to pay attention to is that most of us, we don't come into ourselves till about 30. And if you study like Asian uh, families, international families, and I actually I asked uh, the lady that does my wife and I's hands. You know, she, uh, my wife get a pedicure and a manicure, and then uh, I get my hands done at the at the uh, nail shop, and uh, I get a manicure. And I asked the lady. You know, the lady is thirty two, and I said, you know, uh, do you stay with your family? And the lady was like, yeah, of course I do. I'm not leaving my family until I get married. I said, do you, have, do you have sisters? She was like, yes. I said, where do they stay? Here with us? I said, what about your brothers? Do they leave the house? She said, yes, to go to school, but then they come back home. I said, why do y'all do that? And she said, well, we do it because what else are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out there and create more and create more bills and expenses and debt for ourselves when our family has a large enough size home or they have enough space for us to be able to live together until we can figure it out. And so the biggest thing that I began to see when it came to this Asian family, international families, they understand the importance of group economics. And I feel like it has a lot to do with them coming here with nothing together. So they have to kind of figure it out. If you think about Hispanics, I remember growing up and in my family, you know, people used to talk a lot about Hispanics, how you see like 18 people get out of van. But then you start thinking about how many Hispanics we made fun of. But all of those 18 kids have their own houses on the same land, on the same property. And all of them have trades that they were being able that they were able to learn while they were all living together. You got uncles, you got you got aunties, you got all these people living together and, uh, and, and cohabbing together to, for a common cause, for a common good. And a lot of parents are kicking their kids out at 18 and 19 and not giving them a place where they feel like they can be able to be housed, they can be protected. Now we have to understand that we have to teach our kids the importance of adding value to where we are. You teach them that at a young age when they get a job versus telling them, hey, you get your clothes, you, um, you know, you get a job to, to take care of your own stuff. And we're teaching them the ideal of separatism. And separatism, what it does, it separates it separates the group so that the group, when now isolated, has a harder time to survive. But if you think about group economics, you're pulling resources together so that you can uh, be able to sustain the longevity of the group. And so versus us as being our parents, because I have a daughter, and versus us being parents and telling our kids, you go to school for your stuff. Then they begin to have this idea of your in mind and there's no collaborative effort versus saying, hey, you go to school, you go to work. Half of the stuff, you know, three fourths, a half of the stuff is for what you want. The rest of that money comes into the house to help provide for the house. You begin to talk finances. You become you begin to talk bills. You begin to talk vision of the family with your kids at a very young age. You begin to groom them to think the, the, the importance of family building, wealth building, generational building and thinking about the common good of the group versus the common good of ourselves. And so I think it's very important when we understand group economics and we're reading this article that is very important for us to understand one thing, that group economics is absolutely critical to our success. If you imagine, just imagine every black child, 
that left the house, their mom were mortgaging the property or mortgaging their home. Then you got three kids that each go and mortgage three different properties versus coming together and uh, taking care of their mom's uh, value of the home. And then all of the kids, they go and move into a house. They pay off that house and then move into another house. They paid off that house, move into another house. They paid off that house. Now they all have free and clear properties that they own outright because they use group economics. That has a lot to do with foresight and understanding. So I was having a conversation with this Asian lady with a nail shop. And, it, you know, it, it, it dawned on me that the article that we were just reading, it literally made sense. So what happened was I said, OK, so what about if y'all have kids, you know, you know, before um, uh, before, you know, you get married? And I said, do, do you have people that have kids? She said, of course, we have people that have kids before they get married. Um, uh, but when they have kids before they get married, they understand that they're disgracing the family. And I said, what do you mean by that? They said, well, because they understand that when you raise that child, because we believe in group economics, now the family is going to take a hit because we have to now help you raise your child when you're not in, a, in, a, in, a, in an affordable state to be able to take care of yourself. And I said, well, do y'all believe in government aid? She laughed and she said, no, we don't believe in government aid. And so I'm, li I'm literally talking to this 30-something-year-old uh, Asian woman who still lives with her parents and her sister and her brother, all are 28 and up, and up still live with their parents, and all of them are entrepreneurs. They all bring money to the house, and they live in a ca they buy everything cash. And they think of everything as a group, as a team, as ours. And they all work together in order for the common good. So we have to understand that that type of mentality comes with what? It comes with the education of us, ours versus mine. It comes with uh, uh, pulling things, uh, us, these things together. So when people say, hey, Jake, I don't have family members that think that. Well, family isn't just depicted, of, uh, depicted upon blood. Family is depicted upon ideology. It's depicted upon mission. It's depicted upon vision. It's depicted upon what you value as a collective group. Just like in the Bible, David and Jonathan became brothers. They became closer than close. Why? Because they had a likeness about each other that caused them to be bonded at the hip. So when you think about that, you and your best friend, you guys, can, you and your best friends versus y'all going on girls trips, you all can be housed together in a, uh, and you guys can literally store and save your money and purchase a house that you guys can own outright and then pull your money to be able to build businesses that can now fund more properties or more things of other things that you want. We're talking about group economics. And so when you think about the value of that, how many of us spend and waste money? If you think about it, brothers, sisters, uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, everybody got a, everyone's financing a car, everyone's mortgaging a property, and everybody is, um, and everybody has their own debts. Just imagine if all that money that was going to the bank was going to a family banking system where you all borrowed from it to be able to push and, and elevate one up, which is uh, us going to this, um, uh, us going back to the article so they can read. Sean said, the conversation about finances with a family member or a friend is necessary. Set the expectations in the beginning to, to negate any future problems. Most importantly, everyone should have goals. Don't take advantage of the person. Take advantage of the situation. But it has a lot to do when we talk about not taking advantage of the person. It has a lot to do with the integrity of these people uh, that, that we're working with. So let's go back to the article so that we can continue to read. 
So uh, this 16-year-old began to tell him exactly what happened. So he wanted to start a business which cost $30,000. So he joined this networking pool that allowed for people to uh, be able to use the pool collectively as a group. So every month, uh, they each would bring $2,000 uh, to put into the pot. There were 15 people in total. So every month, uh, they would bring $2,000. So every month, there was a new $30,000 and someone that someone would take from the pot. And every month, for 15 months, the group financed a $30,000 acquisition. Um, one guy bought a cleaners. Another bought a gas station. So when it was the 16-year-old's turn, he bought the corner. Um, my students uh, were amazed in silence until the woman raised her hand and asked how they knew that the person who took money out the pot would come back next month. At first, the young man didn't even understand the question because the honor system was just a part of his culture. Typically, the next thing that people say, well, if you're pulling money together, well, how, how do you know that after they get the money that they're going to come back and pay the debt? Well, in these international Asian communities, honor your family's name meant more than anything. You didn't need a credit score to be able to determine if you were somebody of value. You didn't want to bring shame on your family's name. So you honored what you said that you would do. And that's how that's how they kept their money. And what happened was he was able to buy the block. He was able to uh, buy businesses with that money. And, um, and and what we have to understand is that, as this article says, money pulling was once a strong part of the African-American culture. Some of us know the many reasons the practice was all but forgotten in black communities, including institutional racism. So now as we look as we look at what used to happen back in the day, we have to understand we have to understand. And that money pulling wasn't wasn't something uh, uh, that's that's been new. That's essentially what the banks were are doing. But the problem is they create a system with the fractional lending that they literally for every one dollar you put into the bank, they lend 10. And so they're fractionally lending money and they're not giving you anything back. So um, most importantly, everyone. should. Uh, OK, so. Uh, Denisha said, where should they keep this money? Okay, great question, Denisha. Well, when I tell people when it comes to keeping cash reserves, my wife and I, we do not, I repeat, we do not, we do not keep more than $5,000 in our savings account. All of our money goes inside of our insurance cash reserves because insurance cash reserves gives your money protection that no other reserve, no other savings account can be able to offer. It gives you a guaranteed 4% every year on the principal that's in the account in the reserve plus 2 to 4% dividends from the from the profitability of the insurance company. We only work with mutual companies and with the mutual companies that means that the policyholders which are us, we're the owners of the we're the owners of the company, which means that the company by law has to mutually give you dividends for, guess what, for you open having a policy and having that cash reserve in your account. Well, typically what we teach families to do is that if you have an LLC, you guys create an LLC together and all of you guys begin to put money inside this LLC and have the money drafted out the account into this insurance policy that is owned by the LLC. You give you give uh, the, the most responsible person uh, to be the principal of this LLC. And um, and then uh, based on bylaws and agreements and operational agreements of the LLC, all checks and balances have to be have to be done in order for money to be pulled. And so what happens is every month a new person is up for the pulling of this of this um 
of this new property and you just keep refunding and paying back that pool as if it's it's your own banking institution. And that's what we teach when it comes to group economics and where to put your money and how to put your money so that you can make sure that you position yourself to be able to be in the in the right situation when it comes to reserving the pool of your money. One thing I will say that in Exodus 18, Jethro told Moses, there are three things that you do to be able to find people that should be in your inner group. One thing, they should be capable, meaning that they're not people who are um, who are not at the same way, the same wavelength as you. What do I mean? What I mean, there are people with good intentions, but they shouldn't be having the same conversations because I'm talking here and you're talking here. And there are two different conversations that are had at different playing fields. It's, it's as big of a difference as a 30 year old person talking to an 18 year old person about money. They both are talking about money, but the 30 year old is talking about money in a totally different light than an 18 year old who just graduated high school. OK, so you want to make sure that you find people that are capable, people that have the same understanding when it comes to the future financial goals they're vested in the future of you guys funding and pulling together and so that lets you know that they're capable the second thing is you want to find people that have the same integral code that you have people that are that go by the same moral code which means my family's name means more to me than any credit score you shaming my name in the public means more to me than my credit you reporting to my credit score so you got to find people that have the same integral code that you have and the third thing is you have to find people who are not even easily uh, easily bribed which means they're not led by money they understand that money is a tool that is used for economic growth and that's it they don't think that money is everything they don't think that money is whatever and uh and oh so uh you said that you just tried to call on the show my bad call again call again i didn't hear it i'm talking i didn't have it on call again we have somebody that just uh, tried to call on the show Come on, come on in. This is a, this is a Jake Taylor Jacob show. Who am I speaking with? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, so you said that you um uh, you made a comment on uh, one of my videos about life insurance. What's your name? Tyrone. Uh, and what's, what, what was the comment that you made? Was this yesterday or was it today? Okay, yeah, so, all right, so what, so what comment, what comment do you have? What comment was it?
Correct. Correct. Yeah, and I was just listening. I was waiting till you to finish. Yeah, and 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 um, if you if you um, study like a lot of stuff that we teach, especially when it comes to the master class, we actually break that down in detail. Um, when it comes to the dividends, and we understand that the dividends, uh, because of the rainmakers, the people who actually create the policies, uh, create the prices for the policies, uh, and they set up the, you know, for a dollar per thousand, and the insurance company charges like 1.25 per thousand just to make sure that they're able to hedge against any debts that happen. And the dividends is based on the uh, profitability or the success of a properly managed mu a mutual fund that gets, that goes back down to the policyholders, right? So. Uh, those are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm extremely clear on when it comes to understanding how dividends are paid out and also with the uh, returns from uh, the insurance company investing in bonds, joint ventures, as well as 2% uh, of typically uh, insurance companies have about 2% in uh, stock options in the market. I am aware of that. But the biggest difference is I'm not comparing the reserve to a stock. I'm not comparing the reserve to real estate. I'm comparing the reserve to the banks where we put our money. The, the, the places that we stack our money, we reserve our money, where we save our money, that offers less risk on the money. We're talking about hedging against inflation and hedging against risk. And so, of course, when you hedge against inflation, you hedge against risk and you're being extremely conservative, of course, you know, you're not going to be able to get the interest as if you were being playing in a market and investing. And the problem that you and the problem that you know, because it sounds like you're very familiar and you're very understanding of finances. The problem that you know that most of us have is that most of us are not financially educated enough to understand the importance of risk management when it comes to leveraging and when it comes to uh, investing, which is why I say that you want to store your money in a place that you know that at least can give you 4% with the dividends to 2 to 4% every year on your money so that at least at minimum, you know for a fact that you're hedging against risk and inflation until you can get educated enough to properly make the best investments for your portfolio. And so we're not saying not to invest in real estate. We're not saying not to invest in stocks, but we know people are investing in stocks like it's the lottery. You know that we just hear something we hear. Yeah, go ahead.
Absolutely. 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 It's three point is it's three point three, yeah. Right, so so and and that's actually a great point that you pull up. So like, like let's do the math, right? So you saying um you saying inflation, say taxes. So you say maybe five percent, right? Um, with inflation and taxes, give or take, approximately, right? And and so uh, we're talking about give or take, approximately. Um, so now, so when when that money is going into that into that policy inside that reserve, it's going in after tax. So you've already been taxed on that money. Now the money's growing. Uh, in a tax-free environment, you can actually access the tax. You know this. You can access the tax-free by borrowing or using that money as collateral. So the the the, the ability to hedge against taxes is now uh, multiplied times ten because you have the ability that that money can grow and it is growing tax-free, unless you go past your withdrawal, which is the basis point of you you putting your premium in, and you withdraw and liquidate that account past the basis point. Now you're going to get taxed on any earns that are gained over that, right? And so um, now that the fact that that money is growing tax free and I can access the tax free, you're actually that tax piece is not even a factor anymore because I can access and I can put the money back tax free while being able to take advantage of the market or even using it for retirement until I die. So I think that um, what you're talking about is actually key in, in our uh, I am the lender masterclass, which is 16 lessons that we go further in detail. We actually map out the, the, the we actually map out in detail um, uh, all of these things that, that cause and effects of insurance policies and how to properly use it and what it's supposed to be used for versus what it's supposed to be used against. And that's why we always tell people, brother, to take the class before they actually get into the policy. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, a, a, a traditional, a traditional whole life policy or cash reserve that may be true, uh, but in a uh, a dividend paying whole life structured policy, uh, you actually can have access to that money within 31 days, and the money starts uh, to accumulate dividends as well as interest uh, within the first year. The basis premium is zero, but the but the actual rider rider that we add on there, you actually get access to your bank within 31 days. Me and my wife actually practice this every single day. We don't keep more than $5,000 in a savings account. The rest of our money goes in the insurance reserve and it's because we can access that money within 31 days. So the basic understanding of the, the of the insurance industry is exactly what you say, but the average ordinary person in the insurance industry has no idea how to properly structure that policy. And all of our clients, I mean 100% of our clients get access to their cash reserve within 31 days, even if they're doing month to month.
Uh, no. Uh, so um, just to uh, just to kind of give you have a do you have a pen and paper or something you could take notes? I can give you some books to to read. Okay. We we I have a ba I have a book coming out on this. Um, but until that drops, uh, I'm going to give you um a somebody to study, and this person, this person that I'm 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 going to give you to study, uh, is um actually critical to you understanding how to use this as a bank and where I actually got it from because I didn't make it up I was actually um, in the insurance industry blind like every other insurance agent and you know telling people you know tax-free retirement you know you know the host field tax-free retirement you know you, just, you put your money you hedge against the stock and you know all of that uh, be because it was a sales pitch and then as I started to want to become a specialist a wealth specialist I ran into this guy so you, you have can you take notes real quick all right, his name is Nelson Nash. His name is Nelson Nash. He's a Caucasian fella. His name uh, is the his first book. I'm going to give you the order that you need to read the books, okay? His first book is called Become Your Own Banker. He actually created a system called the Infinite Banking System to where about he literally got rid of all banks to where he, he didn't use banks all the way up until he died for like 50 years. You only use an insurance policy. He completely changed the insurance industry for those that study him. So that's the first book, Become Your Own Banker. The second book uh, that you should read is Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. You got that? Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. That's by Nelson... Uh-huh. That's by Nelson Nash. And another book is called The Case for IBC. This is when economic um, economic scholars actually tag team with him in writing this book. These are people who actually study economics and study Austrian economics as well as United States economics that actually came with him on this book and wrote this book. This book is called The Case for IBC. And those three books will give you a lot more clarity in what we're talking about. Because the average person that does insurance, they have no idea what I'm talking about. It's literally like strange to them because they sell it. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't teach and they don't structure it. Yeah. Yes, actually, uh, I, I got started through Primerica in Dallas. Uh -huh. By term invest the difference. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, um, um, a cool with that. You can, if you were to DM me directly with your number, you and I can have some dialogue one-on-one -on -one with that. And what I will say is that we, you know, I, I get a lot of American converts because <laughs> uh, after, after you explain it and after you see, it's almost like a, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. So, and, and what I teach, like, I, I believe in term, I got just, I got eight, permanent policies just like i got three term policies 
and I, I believe in all life insurance. I just, I, you know, we just have different understandings. And I know that, and you know, if you were to be honest, the, the beginning stages of Prime America is about selling and it's not about offering. It's not about, you typically, you typically learn the other products to be able to defend it, to be able to defend your ideology against it. You're not learning it with an open heart. And that's where I was when I first was in Primerica. I was literally learning the other markets so that I can destroy it so I can get the client. And as I began to get lost in actually learning it, then I realized, wait a minute. If you if you notice my studies, uh, my studies, I also go to if you look at if you go to the FDIC.gov and you go to bank find and under bank find, you look up any of the financial institutions, meaning banks, you can see on line 41 of their assets and liabilities ledger where they literally put billions of dollars in reserves of, 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 of permanent policies. And this is the piece that people don't understand. And they say, you know, you know, and they say, you know, why, why would they do that? Well, if you look up the definition of what is bank owned life insurance, bank owned life insurance is a tax free, tax sheltered environment. And banks literally Chase puts 18 uh, Wells Fargo puts 18 billion dollars in um, in their tax reserve uh, in insurance policies. Um, uh, uh, a Bank of America puts 11 billion dollars inside the general accounts of insurance policies. So the question must be, well, if these financial institutions are doing it, what do they know that I don't know? Because clearly they know something that doesn't work, uh, that, that, that most average person doesn't know. Does that make sense? And so, and so, and so if you DM me, just DM me. Um, and then um, after the show, uh, you and I can have some, you and I can have some dialogue and we can just, we can just chat and I can show you exactly what I'm teaching people. And when you see what people are doing and you see what these institutions are doing and why they're doing it, it's going to blow your mind, especially when I show you how the University of Michigan is paying Jim Harborough his $2 million bonus, annual bonus through life insurance and, um, and why they do it. Okay. No problem. No problem. Hey, hey, listen, cousin, let me tell you something. I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Peace. All right. Listen, hey, listen, 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 listen. Y'all call on in. Call on in. The line is free. The line is clear. Call on in. <laughs> Marquise, tell her, yeah, that's me. Listen, listen, listen. Listen, y'all call on in. Call on in to the show. Call on in to the show. Marquise, you can call back in. Mac Bones, you can go ahead and call back into the show. Um, call back in to the show. That was just um, another primary. I love talking to primaries. I especially love talking to primaries that that are open to learning and not coming and being combative um, because most of them uh, can't defend why they're being combative. And uh, everybody knows I go by facts, research, and logic and nothing in between. And uh, it's a pretty good deal. So call into the show for any comments that you have, any opinions that you have, 469-340-3612. 469-340-3612. We got another caller calling in. Welcome to the Jake Taylor Jacob Show. Who's just called in? What's going on, Keith? What's going on? Owner of Fruit Caves, the baddest PA. Tell them, tell them, tell them about what they can do with you. Uh-huh. 
Good, good. Okay, I got you. I got you. I appreciate you calling them. So for some of you guys that said that you can't hear, um, that was Marquise McBride, a.k.a. Mac Bones with um, with um, with Fruit Caves. Can you guys hear me now? Can you guys hear me with Fruit Caves? I don't know why you guys can't hear the caller because um, everything was, was, was on right. I don't know what was going on. Uh, I don't know what was going on with that. Uh, but um, what he asked was, could I explain the difference between term and whole life? He really didn't know uh, uh, fully the questions uh, that the caller was asking um, uh, in clear. So uh, the caller was from Primerica and, um, you know, he had uh, in a, a, a one way understanding when it came to uh, insurance. And I, and I talked to him about the insurance reserves. And um, he got a little bit more clarity. He's not going to have a, a, a deeper conversation after that. But we will, um, uh, we will talk uh, more clear about that. But um, the difference between term and whole life. Term is exactly what it stands for. It will terminate. It has a term. It has a period in time. 10-year, 20-year, 30-year. After the 10-year, Denise said we can't hear the callers. I'm sorry, y'all. I don't know what. I don't know why we can't hear callers. Um, and I went, I'm, I'll have to figure that out at another time because um, I, I got the Bluetooth up. I, I, I don't know uh, why we can't hear the callers. I apologize for that. But um, term, um, difference between term and whole life is that term uh, is going to terminate. It terms. So for a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year period of time, you can get coverage, cheap coverage, for the cost of almost nothing, you know, for a very competitive insurance company, you know, for a 30 year old, you can get a million dollar policy for like anywhere from 100 to 125 dollars a month if you're standard health. And um, uh, you can literally rent your wealth until you own wealth. That's typically what I like to say when using term and term is just rent. You know, it's cheap. It's affordable. It doesn't you know, it when after it expires, if you want more coverage, you can get access to that more coverage. But it's going to be at like four times higher the price. And when it comes to insurance, um, the insurance companies uh, make a buttload of money on term because only 1% of term policies pay out. So we know that we're 100% going to die. Um, and only 1% of term policies pay out. So uh, that's term. Permanent policies are permanents that last for your whole life. That's why they're called whole life. But there are different types of whole life. There are universal life. There are uh, index universal life. There are variable lives. There are um, dividend paying uh, uh, whole life products. There are um, 
there are there are basic you know regular 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 traditional whole life products so you have to be talking to a specialist to figure out what result that you want to get because all whole life products are not created the same which is why you want to talk to companies that specialize in dividend paying whole life policies that you can dump money into and you get access to your money within 31 days and have access to 60% of the premium that you put in. It's 50 to 60% depending on your age and depending on your health factor. These are things that that that, that matter and things that uh, that you have to make sure that you pay attention to. So um, that's the difference between term and whole life. Term, after 10 year, 20 year, 15 year, 30 year, it's done. You have no more insurance unless you get re unless you reapply and if you're sick if you got sick you're no longer covered um if something happens to your body or something you're no longer eligible for coverage that's it but once you get approved with whole life you're covered for your whole life you never have to worry about that so i think it's very important that we all understand that and i'm sorry that you guys could not hear the people on the call i have no idea why you did not hear it um because those are some good calls and I, and I thought i was doing the right thing uh could i have the bluetooth up so uh, hopefully um, we can get that technical issue figured out. But I will say this. Thanks for tuning in to the Jake Taylor Jacobs show. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Peace.